What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Before I start the show, I feel like there should be a warning. I'm reading public domain books and short stories and whatever else. Uh, Some of it may be offensive. I don't read these things before, so I don't review it, so it's kind of just by chance. So if anything in here is offensive, or most likely with these really old books, uh, bigoted, uh, don't hold me responsible. I'll be just as surprised as you are. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glenn Nuzzles. Well, this week we are struggling to find material to read. Uh, I don't have a themed month like October. So I'm reading random stuff, and I stumbled across a book called More Bedtime Stories by Louise Chandler Moulton. So I've been picking out the short stories from that to read until I think of something better. Uh, I'm also recording in my bedroom again because the mice have completely taken over my once podcast studio. Uh, It smells down there, which makes me think one of them died, which is disgusting. I just recorded tonight with Ben, and he even commented on the smell. So everything's falling apart. So uh, sit back and enjoy one short story from More Bedtime Stories called The Cousin from Boston. The Cousin from Boston by Louise Chandler Moulton We had been friends ever since I could remember, Adeline June and I. We were just about the same age. Our parents were neighbors in the quiet country town where we both lived. I was an only child, and Adeline June was an only daughter, with two strong brothers who idolized her. We were always together. We went to the same school and sat at the same bench and used the same desk. We learned the same lessons and had almost said that we thought the same thoughts. (laughs) We certainly loved the same pleasures. We used to go together in the early spring to hunt the dainty mayflowers from under the sheltering dead leaves and to find the shy little blue-eyed violets. (laughs) We went hand in hand into the still summer woods, and gathered the delicate maiden hair, and the soft mosses, and all the summer wealth of bud and blossom. Gay little birds sang to us, the deep blue sky bent over us, and happy little brooks murmured and frolicked at our feet. In autumn, we went nutting 
an apple gathering, and in the winter we slid and coasted and snowballed. For every season there was some special pleasure, and always Adeline, June, and I were together, always sufficient to each other for company. We never dreamed that anything could come between us or that we would ever learn to live without each other. We were 13 when Adeline June's cousin from Boston, Lil Simmons, her name was, came to see her. It was vacation then, and I had not seen Adeline June in two days, because it had been raining hard, so I did not know of the expected guest until one morning Adeline's brother Tom came over and told me that his aunt Simmons from Boston was expected at noon, and with her is cousin Lil. Uh, she'll be a nice playmate for you and Junie B, he said. She's only a year older than you two, and she used to have plenty of fun in her. Uh, Junie B wants you to come over this afternoon, sure. That was the beginning of my feeling towards Madeline June. I was unreasonable, I know, but I thought she might have to come tell me the news herself. I felt sort of bitter. Shut-out feeling of all the forenoon. After dinner, I was half-minded not to even go over to let her have her Boston cousin all to herself. My mother heard some of my speeches. But she was wise enough not to interfere when she saw at last that curiosity and inclination had gotten the better of pique and jealousy. She basted a fresh ruffle in my neck of my afternoon dress and tied a pretty blue ribbon in my hair, and I looked as neat and suitable for the occasion as possible. At least I thought so, until I got to Alan June's house. She did not watch for my coming and run to the gate to meet me as usual. Of course, it was perfectly natural as she should be, entertaining her cousin, but I missed the accustomed greeting, and when she heard my voice at the door and came out of the parlor to speak to me. I know that if my face reflected my heart, it must have worn a most sullen and unamiable expression. Uh, I'm so glad you've come, Sophie, she said cheerfully. Lil is in the parlor. I want you to like her. But you can't help it. I know she's so lovely, such a beauty. Perhaps I shan't see with your eyes, I answered, with what I imagined to be the most cutting coldness and dignity. Oh, yes, I guess you will, she laughed. <laughs> we have thought alike about most things all our lives. I followed her into the parlor, and I saw Lil. If you're a country girl who read, and have ever been suddenly confronted with a city young lady in the height of fashion, to whom you were expected to make yourself agreeable, you can, perhaps, understand what I felt. Particularly if by nature you are not only sensitive, but somewhat vain, as I am sorry to confess I was. I had been used to think of myself as well-dressed and well-looking as any of my young neighbors. I was neither as well-dressed nor as well-looking as Lil Simmons. Adeline June was right. She was a beauty. She was a little taller, uh, and Adeline and I, and I had a slender, graceful creature with a high-bred air. It was years before they had begun to crimp little girl's hair, but I think Lil's must have been crimped. 
There was a perfect golden cloud about her face and shoulders and all full of little shining waves and ripples. Then what eyes she had, uh, star bright and deep blue with lashes so long that when they drooped they cast a shadow on her pale pink of her cheeks. Her features were all delicate and pure, her hands white with one or two glittering rings upon them. And her clothes, exclamation point. My own gowns had not now seemed to me ill-made before, but now I thought Adeline, June, and I both looked as if we had come out of the ark. It was the first of September, and her dress had just been made for fall, a rich, glossy blue poplin with soft lace at throat and wrist, and a pin and some tiny ear jewels of exquisitely cut pink coral. Yes, I thought to myself bitterly. No wonder Adeline Jewel was dazzled. She may like to be the contrast to help Miss Fine Air show off, but I object to that character, and I shall keep pretty clear of this house while Miss Lil is in it. I spoke to her politely enough, I suppose... And she answered me. It might have been either shyly or haughtily. I chose in my then mood to think the latter. Decidedly, the afternoon was not a success. Adeline June did her best to make it pleasant. But she and I couldn't go poking about into all sorts of odd places, as we did when we were alone, and we did not know what the Boston cousin would like to do. So we put on our company manners and talked. And for an illustration of utter dullness and dreariness, commend me to a talk, in quotes, between the three girls in their early teens who have nothing of social ease which comes of experience and culture. And where two of them have nothing in common with the other, as regards daily pursuits and habits of life, Lil uh, talked a little about Burnham's. It was before Loring's day, and we had read uh, no novelist but Scott and Dickens. And we couldn't discuss with her whether it wasn't too bad that Gerald might married Isabel and did not marry Margaret. We, we might have brightened a little over the supper, but then Miss Simmons, who had been sitting upstairs with, with Adeline's mother, was present. The stately dame in rustling silk and gleaming jewels, who Overdrawed me completely. Uh, it was glad to go home. At the little root of bitterness I carried in my heart had grown until, for the time, it choked out everything sweet and good. While the Boston cousin stayed, I saw little of Junie B. I'm telling the truth, and I must confess, it was my fault. I know not how uh, Adeline June was unchanged, but of course, she was very much occupied. Whenever I saw her, she was so full of Lil's praises that I foolishly thought I was nothing to her and anymore, and Lil was everything. If I had chosen to verify her words instead of chafe at them, I too might have enjoyed Lil's grace and beauty, and learned from her a great many things worth knowing. But I took upon my own course, and if the cup I drank was bitter, it was of my own brewing. At last... One afternoon, Adeline June came over by herself to see me. I was most ungracious at my welcome. 
I don't see how you could tear yourself away from your city company, I said, with that small, hateful sarcasm, which is uh, so often a girl's weapon. They say self-denial is blessed. I hope yours will be. Yeah, perhaps Adeline guessed that my hatefulness had in its root in pain, or it may have been that her own heart was too full of something else for her to notice my mood. Lil is going tomorrow, she said gently. Indeed, I answered. I don't know how the town will support the loss of such a beauty and grace. I suppose I shall see more of you then, but I must not be selfish enough to rejoice in the general misfortune. Nah, Adeline's gentle eyes filled with tears at last. Sophie, she said, how can you be so unkind, you whom I have loved all my life? I am going too with Lil, and that is why I came to tell you. Ever since she has been here, Aunt Simmons has been trying to persuade Mother to let me go back for a year's schooling with Lil, but it was not decided until last night. Mother thought at first I must wait to have my winter things made, but Aunt Simmons said she should get them better in Boston, and the same woman would like to make "'For me, who makes Lil's? Indeed! How well-dressed you'll be,' I said bitterly. "'How you will respect yourself.' "'Sophie, I don't know you,' Adeline burst out indignantly. "'The hardest of all was to leave you, for we've been together all our lives, "'but you are making it easy. Goodbye!' "'She put her arms around me, even then, and kissed me, "'and I responded coldly.' Oh, how could I, when I loved her so? I watched her out of sight, and then I sank down upon the grass and laid my head upon a little bench where we had often sat together and sobbed and cried till I could scarcely see. I was half tempted to go over to Adeline's and ask her to forgive me, but my wicked pride and jealousy wouldn't let me. Lil would be there, I thought, and she wouldn't want me while she had Lil, so I stayed away. Next morning, they, they all went off. When I heard the car whistle at the little railroad station a mile and a half away, I began to cry again. Then, if it had not been too late, I would have gone and implored my friend to forgive me and not shut me out of her heart. But the day for repentance was over. The slow months went on. And I missed Junie B. at school, at home, everywhere. I longed for her with a, an incurable longing. It was, to me, almost as if she were dead. People wrote many less letters in those days than they do now, and neither uh, Junie B. nor I had learned to express anything of our real selves on paper. We exchanged three or four letters, but they amounted to a little more than the statement that we were well, and the list of our studies. One look into Adeline June's eyes would have been worth a thousand such. There were other pleasant girls in town, but I took none of them into Adeline's vacant place. How could I? Who of them would remember all my past life as she did? She, who had shared with me so many perfect days of June. So many long, bright summers and melancholy autumns and winters white with snow. I was, as I have shown you, jealous and hateful and cruel. But never for a moment fickle. At last, Junie B. came again. It was a day in the late June, and she found me just where she had left me, under the old horse chestnut tree in the great old-fashioned garden. 
I knew it must be almost time for her coming, but I had not asked anyone about it. Somehow I couldn't, I very seldom even spoke her name in those days, so she stole upon me unawares. And the first I knew her arms were around me, her warm, ooh, tender lips against my own, ah, and her sweet, unchanged voice cried, Oh, Sophie, ah, this is good. This is coming home indeed. I cried like a very child. Adeline June didn't quite understand that, but then she had not had, like me, a hard place in her heart, which needed happy tears to melt it away. I think in spite of the tears, I was more glad of the meeting, even than she. After a little while, she said, Hey, come. I want you to go home with me now and see Lil. Ah. Will you believe that even then the old bitter jealousy began to gnaw again at my heart? She had been with Lil almost a year. Could she not be content to give me a single hour without her? Perhaps she saw in my thought my face, for she added in such a sad, pitiful tone, Poor Lil. Poor Lil, indeed, with her beautiful golden hair and her eyes like stars and her lovely gowns and her city airs. Poor Lil. I should never think of calling Miss Simmons poor, I said, with the old hardness back in my voice. You will when you see her now, Judy B. answered gently. She had a hard fall on the icy pavement last winter, and she hurt her hip. And it's been growing worse and worse. She can hardly walk at all now, and she has suffered awfully. But she has been oh so patient. And how I dared to envy that girl. I was shocked and silenced. I walked along by, by Adeline's side and uh, quietly. And we got there. She took me up into her room, and there I saw Lil Simmons. I should hardly have known her. The golden glory of her hair floated about her still. The eyes were star-bright yet, and the cheeks, the long lashes shaded were pink no longer. They were so thin and hollow, it was pitiful to see them. She wore a wrapper of some soft blue stuff, and on her lap lay her frail, transparent hands. She started up to meet us with a smile, for which a moment gave back some of the old brightness to her face, but which faded almost instantly. I sat down beside the lounging chair where she was lying, but I could not talk to her. The sight of her wasted loveliness was all too sad, and after a little while, she said to Junie B., Won't you? You're always so good to me. Go fetch me a glass of the cool water from the spring at the foot of the garden. Adeline went instantly, and then Lil turned to me and put her hand on my arm. I asked her to go, Sophie, she said, because I wanted to speak to you. I wanted to say something to you, which it would hurt her to hear. I wanted to be very jealous of you, Sophie. I wanted Adeline to love me best, but she never did. She had loved you so long that I could see you were always first at her heart, and now I am glad. I shall never be well again. And when I'm gone, I would not like to Judy B. to be so unhappy as she would if she had loved me first and best. She'll miss me, and she'll be very sorry for me. But she will have you, and you can comfort her. I am ashamed now of that old jealousy. I think it made me not nice to you last summer. Lil, jealous of me? I was dumb with sheer amazement, and I... How much bitterness and injustice I had to confess. But before I could put it into words, Adeline June had come back and a look 
from Lil kept me silent. That night, when I went away, I put my arms around my darling and kissed her with my whole heart, as I had not done for a year. She never knew how much went into that kiss of sorrow and shame and self-reproach. What months those were which followed. I was constantly with Junie B. and her cousin. Mrs. Simmons was there, but Lil spent most of her daytime hours with us girls to spare her mother, probably, who was with her every night, and also because she loved us both. Sometimes, on fine days, she would walk a little under the trees, and I have knelt unseen in a passion of loving humility and kissed the grass over which she had dragged after her helpless foot. Growing near to death, she grew in grace. As Adeline June said one day, her wings are growing, and she will fly away with them soon. And so she did. Through the summer she lingered, suffering much at times, but always patient and gentle and uncomplaining. And when the dead leaves of autumn went fluttering down the wind, she died with the dead summer. And, upborne on the wings of some messenger of God, her soul went home. Even her mother hardly dared mourn for her. Her life had been so pure and so peaceful. Her death was so tranquil and so happy. I had ceased long before to be jealous of her. No one could love her too much. She was my saint, and her memory has hollowed many a thought during the long, world-weary years since. I need to put to close my eyes to see a pale, patient face with its glory of golden hair and its eyes bright as stars. And often on some soft wind I seem to hear her voice speaking again, the last words I ever heard her speak. Uh, love each other always, my darlings, and I remember I love you both. We have obeyed her faithfully, Dale and June and I, through the long years since, no coldness or estrangement has ever come between us. My first and last jealousy was buried in Lil's grave, and Judy B. and I approved, to our own satisfaction at least, that a friendship between two girls may be strong as it is sweet, faithful as it is fond, the inalienable riches of a whole life. What did we uh what did we learn today? In this episode we learned that in eighteen seventy-five thirteen year old kids were really affectionate with each other. Which is weird. Uh we learned that if you're jealous of someone, you just gotta wait long enough and they'll probably die. And then they're not a problem anymore. So I think the moral to the story is uh, never give up. So, uh, tune in next time as I find some other creepy public domain thing to read. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>